0: Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your host is Becky Olson. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Becky Olson.
1: Thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Becky Olson. I'm the co-founder of Breast Friends. I'm also a five-time survivor of advanced stage breast cancer, a motivational speaker, and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And today's show, I'm going to skip the inspirational moment because we have a very full show for you today. We actually are going to interview three very special women. They are all diagnosed with breast cancer in their 30s. Ah, that's not supposed to happen, right? Right um and they were all diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer and i think when we start when we start talking i'll introduce our first guest and we'll start by kind of explaining what that means but all of them are moms of young children and we're going to discuss issues like working parenting daycare and the importance of physical fitness during and after treatment. So our first guest today is Alyssa Byer. Alyssa was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer at age 37 in October of um, 2017. She's married with two sons, now ages six and nine, and Alyssa is also the event coordinator with Breast Friends, and she has been a tremendous asset. I remember speaking to Alyssa several months ago before she even joined our organization, and I was just really impressed with her desire and her heart to really try to make a difference in this world, and she's doing a great job for us. So welcome, Alyssa. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Becky. Thanks for having me. Sure. Well, you were diagnosed at age 37, and I—I I just, you know, I was 43 when I was diagnosed, and I, I know, even for in the 40s is considered young, but, you know, for you, that you were really young, and life was, you know, it's it's different when you're young than it is when, as you age. What was what was that like for you? Um, just just tell me whatever you want to tell me about that.
2: Yeah. Well. I think the, the main word I would use to describe it was shock. (laughs) Yeah. Um, it, it really sort of felt like it came out of nowhere. Um, and really it, for us, it was sort of like being dumped in a foreign land with a foreign language. And they're just like, okay, now you have to learn everything about this. Um, so yeah, it it was um, it was definitely a huge learning curve, um, yeah. and not anything that we ever expected.
1: Yeah, uh, I can only imagine. And you know, triple negative. Let's just kind of start, if you don't mind. I know that like most most breast cancers most feed on estrogen. And that's the kind I have. Mine was estrogen-fed, so I've been on various estrogen therapies to try to remove estrogen from my body. And, And then another thing that cancer feeds on is progesterone, and then another thing that it feeds on is a protein called HER2. And those are the three most common things that cancer feeds on. They've done a lot of research to try to figure out how to stop it and slow the growth. But with triple negative, what that means is your cancer is not feeding on any of those three main ones that we know about. And they don't really know what it's feeding on. So, (laughs) which makes treatment a little bit more um, daunting I would think because they don't, they kind of just sort of Put different. I mean, they're learning more and more about it all the time. They're learning things that work and don't work. But, but it's kind of almost a crapshoot, isn't it? I mean, trying to figure out what's going to slow it down. Yeah, there,
2: there is no, you know, specific targeted treatment. Um, You know, they have found at, at least this is my understanding, is that it is um, the chemo protocol tends to fight the cancer very well. Um, So they know that, but there's nothing specifically targeted for this specific type of cancer and there's no ongoing uh, treatments for preventing reoccurrence or anything.
1: And so sometimes they find one and it seems to work and so they stick with that and and if all goes well, we can actually get it under control. I mean, we've known many women who were who had triple negative breast cancer who landed on the right combination and and you know some time down the road success and so that's good and that's what we always yeah. hope and pray for you know i'm metastatic right now so we're kind of trying the same thing <laughs> Even though mine, right. mine's estrogen fed, you know, some of those protocols don't seem to work on me anymore either. So so I get that. And the, the kind of the uncertainty is has got to be overwhelming at times. And, and Alyssa, when you were first diagnosed, your children were then four and seven. Is that is that right? Um, They were three and six. Oh, okay. So they mm. hadn't had their birthdays yet. Okay. So yeah. three, <laughs> three and six. So my youngest was 11. And I'm just trying to imagine what it would be like to... Um, you know, work with children. You have children, you've got a life. Um, first off, let me ask you, was, did you have any family history of breast cancer? No. 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 So, no history. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, what was your life like prior to your diagnosis? What did you do? Um,
2: well, I, I had been a stay-at-home mom since my oldest was born. And so, he, he was in first grade. My youngest Um, was three, and he had just started preschool in that September. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was sort of feeling like, oh, my gosh, this is my time to sort of get my time back, you know, um, have a little bit of a a break with my youngest being in preschool a few Mm -hmm. hours every day. And so, you know, that was in September, and I just started to sort of figure out what I wanted to do <laughs> with my time and my life. And then boom, in October <laughs> was my diagnosis. So um, that was a little bit um, of a tricky thing, um, but I was grateful that they were both in a school setting already and having, you know, some consistency and routine in their life and having, you know, a place outside of just being home for them to be.
1: Well, that, that's good. Now, how long were you in treatment once you did get diagnosed? And can you share with us what your treatment was? What did you do? What was your process? And we'll keep this part short because I want to move on to some other things you know, that are, you know, about being a mom. But can you just tell us briefly what kind of procedures you went through during this time?
2: Yeah, so I started with uh, chemo, which was um, four rounds of the um, of the AC, the first type of chemo,
1: <laughs> the Red Devil as they <laughs> yes. call it. Yeah, I know that one.
2: <laughs> yeah, and then I did um, twelve weeks of weekly Taxol treatment, okay. and um, then I had a lumpectomy and radiation. Okay. And so I started treatment end of October and I finished in June.
1: Okay. so that was that's a good long time. And now during that time, um, when you were taking care of your kids and trying to do all this, what was how did you manage all of that? I, I know we have listeners out here who are probably in the very same boat right now, um, feeling exhausted, feeling just overwhelmed with all of this. Um, you know, and they've got kids. so it's not like you can just crawl into. A, a little cubby hole, and and you know <laughs> you have to actually still be there for them so how did you how did you do that
2: yeah um
1: well I mean first
2: first off I'm grateful for my husband and you know he was a a big help and a big part of that um, but I think you know we really we went into what I call survival mode you know we just we sort of stripped down all the unnecessary things in our life. And really the focus was getting me through treatment and raising our kids. You know, those were the two, (laughs) the only two things we really um, focused on. And I will say it was because I had been the primary stay-at-home parent, it was, a huge challenge at first. I felt a lot of guilt and just it was hard to release that control and to sort of let other people help, um, even if it was my husband. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, we just the boys and I had our routine, and um, so it was hard. But of course, as treatment progressed, and I felt. Physically worse, it was. It became easier to sort of.
1: (laughs) Okay, I give up. You can do this. Yes, please wash the floors and vacuum the rugs. (laughs) I'll let you do that. (laughs) Right. No, I I Uh, get it. You know, we're women and we think we can do it all, and we have our way of doing things. And I mean, I don't know about you, Alyssa, but you know, I'm a little bit of a control freak at times. I mean, just ask my husband. I'm sure he'll tell you. But I have certain ways I like things to get done. But sometimes when you go through this, you just, you have to let go of that, don't you? And just, you know, you've got somebody that wants to help. They want to try and do it, you know. I think we, as patients during that time, kind of need to just let them do it the way they can do it best. What do you think? Right,
2: right, yeah. And um, also my mother-in-law had just retired, and so she was a big help. Um, she would come up uh I would have my chemo treatments on Tuesdays. So she would come pick up my youngest son from preschool and, um, you know, get him home and stuff because we were still at the infusion uh, center. And then she would also come back sometimes later in the week because, as you know, the side effects tend to kick in a few days later. Um, Right. Sometimes they do. Yeah. So... She would come back later in the week and then we would have the weekend to, you know, my husband wouldn't be working and we would be home to recover. And so we kind of just went, we developed a, um, you know, a plan as things progressed and as things changed and everybody stayed flexible and, um, you know, but it, it was hard still to explain like to my kids why I couldn't come help in the classroom or couldn't go on field trips and things like that. Um, You know, I still felt a lot of guilt and I, towards the end, I just wanted to be able to do those things. I was tired of being, you know, sick mom (laughs) at home. I I wanted to be, I wanted to be normal mom. Um,
1: So, Honey, I don't think you've ever been a normal mom. <laughs> I think,
3: well, I think you've guess. probably
1: mostly been a super mom. That's my guess, <laughs> just from what I, what little I know about you. That's just oh, the I sense I have you. of you. So let me yeah. ask you this: You know, you talked about stripping things down to just the bare bones minimum. What what kind of things did you strip out? Because you know, I, sometimes it's hard when you think about letting go of something. Oh no, I can't let go of that. That's too important. What did you let go of? If you can give us a couple of examples of what those things might have been. Because, you know, you just mentioned a couple. you know, not going to be like parent mommas in classes and going on field trips. Okay, that's that's one thing. Was there anything else that you remember offhand? I know I'm throwing this at you out of the blue, but I have a feeling you can answer it. <laughs> <So.
2: laughs> um, I think, well, like, for example, just, you know, things around the house, like, you know, no, this this year we're not going to have the nicest garden or, you know, yes, there may be longer than I would like in between the times, you know, the carpet gets vacuumed or, <laughs> you know, just things like that, that um, you just start to realize that you can't, you can't do it all. Right. And, um, you know, the the most important thing was when i was feeling well spending time together doing things that we liked so if i was feeling well i my first inclination was to you know do something around the house but instead we just took the time to be together
1: well it sounds like you have an amazingly supportive system there besides your husband, your mother-in-law, wow, I mean, she really stepped up, it sounds like, so that's yes. that's incredible, and you know, I know not everyone has that luxury, but we all have, hopefully, we all have people in our lives that want to help, and I guess one lesson that I learned from my experience is when people, when people say that they want to help you, find a way to let them in. You know, don't, it's so easy to say, oh, thank you, but I'm fine, really. We know we're not fine, but we <laughs> we, pret- we pretend that we are, but we're not yeah. fine. So find a way, and I kind of what I'm hearing from you, too, is, you know, find a way to let people in and be part of your healing journey, because... You know, we all want to help. We all want to be that hero to somebody. So right, let, them, right. let them be a hero to you, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah. Why not? So, <laughs> so just real yes. quick before we run yeah. into our break here, um, you came on to work with Breast Friends, and you do some special things with us. Why don't you tell us just very very quickly about the work you do at Breast Friends? But what I really want to hear mostly, and we only have a couple minutes here, is um, you have kids at home, and now you're Homeschooling them, I'm sure, because they're not in schools with all this coronavirus stuff going on. So, how's that all working? Are you are you making that work for you, or is this <laughs> a total stressor? I have no idea. You always seem happy on the, on the Zoom calls, but
2: oh well. Yeah, it, I mean, it's definitely um, it's it's been a challenge. You know, I so I came um, or my role now at Breast Friends is the event coordinator and to help plan and execute the four main events that we have each year. But as you know, due to this coronavirus stuff, um, you know, everything's been changed and shifted around and very unexpected um, moving things to virtual events. And, you know, we're just trying to figure it all out as we go. And so I just... um, you know, we're working on being flexible and not having too much expectations here at home um, and just being grateful that we're all healthy. And, you know, if the kids have to watch a little bit more TV right now, it's,
1: it's okay with not you, the right? end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, Thank you so much, Alyssa, and I'm actually going to ask you, if you don't mind, if you would stay on the call with us during our, because we have two other people calling in to give us their perspective on this, but you know both of these ladies very well, so I'm going to ask you to stay on the call with us if that is okay with you. Would that be all right? Yep. Cool. Yeah. All right, well, we are going to go on out to break then, so stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Thank you.
4: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash voice america.
0: Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at BreastFriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit BreastFriends.org and contribute today. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices by enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position and biology but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at electa.com. That's e l e k t a.com.
3: When was the last time you felt free?
1: Welcome back to our program. We've been talking with young survivors today, and our guest in the first segment was Alyssa Byer, and now we have a guest whose name is Natalie Huber, and Natalie was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer in February of 2019 at the very young age of 36, darn it. Um, she is a healthcare worker, splitting her time between three Portland-area hospitals, and we're going to talk about that because I can't even imagine what that's like right now. She's She works as a tech in a very busy emergency department and as a health unit coordinator for a neo, neonatal intensive care unit, as well as a pediatric orthopedic postoperative unit. Wow. Um, when not working or quarantined, she enjoys spending time outdoors, especially on her kayak or at the beach and finding new restaurants or food carts to try. But you have to sit outside, right? <laughs> so welcome, <laughs> Natalie. I'm, I'm so glad you joined our show today. So, um, so Natalie, let me ask you, you were diagnosed at age 36. So I'm going to ask you the same thing I asked Alyssa. What was that like for you?
5: Uh, very overwhelming. Um, I mean, it literally felt like the world had just been pulled out and from underneath my feet. Um, uh, you know, being on the healthcare side of things too, it's kind of a double edged sword. Um, it's almost like you know a little too much, but not enough. <laughs> so it's um, it's definitely been a very humbling experience all the way around.
1: Yeah. Did you have a family history of that? No, no
5: family history, um, no genetics, uh, nothing. Everything came back negative. So, Isn't that um, amazing? Yeah, we don't really know yeah. why. Yeah, it's just kind of like a, I don't know, it's a crapshoot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, we talked about that crapshoot in the first segment, actually. Um, so you work now in, in all these hospital settings, and you know, I guess, well, before we get into what you're doing now, let's talk a little bit about what did you do before your diagnosis?
5: Uh, so, I was definitely a workaholic. <laughs> um, I was averaging um, anywhere, uh, I, was, I would say I was probably averaging 48 hours a week between the three hospitals. Wow. Um, and so, I, yeah, I managed to keep that up. I was averaging still 36 hours a week pretty much through most of my treatment, probably until up until about a month, um, uh towards the end of active infusions um, and then I had my surgery so I had to cut down um, and now with COVID I've had to cut down even more.
1: Wow well, so t- would you mind telling us a little bit about your treatment what did you experience you be I, I'm sure there was surgery in there but why don't you just tell us kind of just briefly what your what your surgery path was or what your treatment path was.
5: Sure, of course. Um, so I did a similar treatment plan to Alyssa. So I started off with AC, the Red Devil. Um, mm-hmm. But I actually only got um, three infusions. Um, my tumor actually grew twice the size on AC. Oh. So that oh. one did not work for me. Yeah, so we cut that early, and then I moved to taxils. So I did 12 weekly Taxols, and then they actually added platin on top of that. Um, so I did four-dose stents. Um, Doses of that um, before having a um, unilateral mastectomy, and I'm currently okay. awaiting reconstruction. That's kind of been pushed
1: back since this whole yeah, COVID and stuff. and and you're looking at the deep flat procedure. Is that correct? Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So I think I read in that itself. in your bio. Yeah. I actually. I've been through several different processes in my five times as a cancer survivor, but the last one I did was the deep flap. and And for our listeners, that's where they take a little bit of the belly and they disconnect it from the blood supply, and then they move it up above and reconnect it to a blood supply. It's um, uh, it's a very very labor intensive surgery, but it really gives you a nice a nice outcome. And uh, so they're waiting on that until we get past all this the COVID stuff. Is that right? has kind of been Correct. put on hold.
3: Yeah.
1: yeah. You know, yeah. I can't even imagine what it's like to work in a hospital right now. I mean, I know when I when I go to the cancer center for my visits every month, they're very careful. I mean, I wasn't sure what it was going to be like once the COVID virus hit, what it was going to be like walking in there. But I feel very safe when I go in They They take such good care. They check you in and they walk you up and everybody's masked and gloved and, you know, all of that. But I just, I can't even imagine... Um, what, what that would be like to be, you know, working still in that same industry. So, what is it like for you to keep working in the healthcare field while you're doing this? And, um, so and, think, and, and, and let me ask you one other question that yeah, goes with that, too. Did you continue to work through your treatment or did you go on, on leave for a while?
5: So, I did. I was still averaging about 36 hours a week uh, up until okay. about a month before I finished Taxol. It was just I was 250, so I cut down to about two days a week um, at that point, so 24 hours a week. Um, And then I had my mastectomy, and then I had to take some time off, obviously, to heal from that. And then I had some post-op complications, um, so I was actually out for... I think I was out for almost twelve weeks, um, and then kind of started going back. Um, so I've definitely had to cut back down with everything COVID related. I'm actually not in the emergency department right now. Um, they were not great about making accommodations for me, going back to work. And then my oncologist just felt that um me being immunocompromised that was just not a great spot for me right now. Yeah, so it's been
1: hard. <laughs> Um, yeah, but, but you know, you, sometimes you just yeah. you have to look at you have to look at what your personal you know things are that you're dealing with. And I have to say, I agree with that. I think you know it would be a risky place for you to be right now. But, um, but I'm sure you you miss the work. But I you know I actually had I was able to take time off. I took six months off. I can't imagine what it would be like to keep working. So what what advice do you have for our people listening right now? who, for some reason, you know, they have to work through treatment, even if it's part-time or, you know, uh, modified full-time or whatever, um, if they can't take time off because of, you know, if they have disability or don't have disability. What, what advice do you give to people? How to keep up your stamina? What, what can you do to, what, what can you share with our audience who might be listening right now?
5: Sure. So I actually, I recommend working through treatment. I think it was one of the best things I did for me. Um, it really helped from a mental health aspect. Um, okay. it kept kind of this, um, you know, a place that I could go to, um, where it wasn't about me. It wasn't about my cancer. Um, I was able to focus my time and energy on something else and other people. I still felt useful and helpful, which was great, especially being a caregiver. I'm sure many moms around there, around here can, um, identify with that as well, you know, we're used to being the ones taking care of people and all of a sudden now we're the cancer patients. We don't sometimes make the very best patients. So um, that's (laughs) been humbling. But um, I guess just be very open. Uh, Have open lines of communication. Talk to your managers. Um, See uh, what kind of accommodations they can make for you. Um, You know, maybe... having you do different tasks than you were doing before um, can you modify your work hours can you work from home uh, which obviously I wasn't able to do but um, just really try to have open communication with your managers um, and see what they can do
1: yeah that, that sounds great. Um, Alyssa I know you're still there. Do you have any any specific questions that I haven't thought of that we could that we could talk with um, Natalie about? Is there anything that comes to your mind?
2: Um, no, I mean, I, I, no, I just, I think it's amazing that you kept working and, um, but I understand keeping that normal routine. I think it's like you mentioned, it's similar to having kids, you know, you want something to focus on that's not your cancer.
1: You know, I, I will agree with that. Um, sometimes it takes a little different path, and um, let me just share with the listeners a little little bit about my path in that same thing. I was working full-time, and I was one of these crazy people. I was working many way, way too many hours a week, but um, after my cancer diagnosis, I was able to take some time off from work. But what I decided to do, kind of like what Natalie's saying, is you want to, even if you don't have your job if you can stay focused on something that is bigger than you something that is beyond just this little box that I'm in right now as a cancer patient I was actually in school I had gone to school to get my degree as an adult and I was three months into my school when I got my diagnosis and I did quit I did quit work for a while. I took six months off because I had short-term disability. I could do that and still get paid at least a portion of my salary. But um, I decided that I would use that time to stay focused on school. And people asked me, well, why aren't you? You should stay home from school, and, and you shouldn't be doing anything. You should just be staying home and taking care of yourself. Well, ladies, maybe you can both relate to this. I'll bet yeah, you can. <laughs> <The> <laughs> stay, staying home and taking care of myself would mean sleeping on the couch all day watching stupid television shows and dwelling on my current circumstances you know mm-hmm. and does does that ring true with you guys you know if yes. you don't yes. if you don't stay focused on life you're going to focus someplace else instead and so for those exactly. of those who are listening out here right now Even if you don't have a job or if you have to leave your job for a short time, find something that means something to you. And, you know, I did stay in school. My doctors gave me a 60% chance to survive past five years. I'm really, really glad they were wrong because it took me seven years to graduate. (laughs) So, you know, I was on the slow path, but I did finally graduate. And had I not done that, had I decided to just stay home from school, I don't know that I would have gone back and finished it. So, you know, I did get my degree. And, you know, so whether it's work or, you know, taking care of your children, but it's not, it's not necessary. It's just, it doesn't have to be a specific thing. It has to be something though. You, you know, doing something that brings you joy. And right. do you either one of you ladies have hobbies and things that you also like to do? You know, anything that uh, you yes, do I in your do, spare time?
5: But um, it's been harder with COVID being able to be outside and do anything. So I love hiking, being outdoors. Obviously mm-hmm. that's kind of limited right now. Um Uh, Reading, So like doing book clubs, that's a great thing you can do right now, especially with all the like online Zoom meetings.
1: And you also like to kayak and stuff. Is that kind of out of the realm right now for you?
5: Uh, No, that's actually one thing now with the weather being nicer that I can do. I feel like I can safely social distance out on the water.
1: Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you probably can. Just don't take anyone in the kayak with you and you'll be fine. right? <laughs> so, Natalie, okay. let me ask you, I, I want to ask you a little bit on a different subject, okay? Um, the subject of dating, because you, I don't know if you're dating now, but you're not, you're not married. Am I, am I right about that? Correct.
5: So, I'm not okay. married. I actually don't have any kids. Um, uh, so, oh, I I'm am I'm uh, definitely Oh, that's okay. Uh, I'm definitely uh, single. Um, not sure that I'm quite ready to mingle yet. Um, I was feeding a little bit kind of through treatment. Um, that's kind of, I've kind of put a halt to that right now. Um, I'm just kind of focusing on fostering uh, current relationships that I have with my family and friends.
1: Okay. So have you thought about when you step back into the dating arena, what that might be like for you? Um, Let me me preface Uh, that question. You know, Sharon Sharon Hennepin, who is the other co-founder of Breast Friends, she was my host on this show for about three the first three years we that we did this, and her thing she was she was the first in our circle to go through cancer, and she ended up you know getting divorced and then dating, and she just made it part of her intro. <laughs> you know, hi, I'm Sharon. I'm a breast cancer survivor. <laughs> she just you know if they she figured if they couldn't handle that then she wasn't they weren't someone she wanted to waste time with. So that was kind of her approach to it. But I know some people are far more private than that and they want to take their time to kind of release information and, and whatever is comfortable for you is fine. I'm just curious what, what you might be thinking that you would do, if you have any thoughts Yeah, sure. It.
5: So, I actually have two online dating profiles right now and I make it very obvious in both of my dating profiles that I am currently in active treatment from for cancer. I'm still in chemotherapy right now, so... Um, I am kind of on that same, uh, bandwagon with, um, you know, I feel like everyone has baggage. Uh, this might be considered mine. It's definitely not for everyone. Um, I would probably want to know going into a relationship with somebody up front. Um, I know that's not right for everyone. Some people are much more private. Uh, it's something that they want to take their time telling people. I don't think there's a right or a wrong reason. I just, Kind of, I haven't been very private about any of my cancer journey. I've been very open about it. It's part of me. It's part of who I am, and um, that's kind of my theory about it too. They can, you know, know right away, and if it's not something they're comfortable with, then that's okay.
1: You know, that that's. I, I think that's that's wonderful, and I think being, for me, being open about cancer is. Well, again, people take different approaches. I've known people who were very hush-hush about it, didn't want anyone to know, even while they were going through it. And and the hard part is when you're really hush-hush about it and no one knows what's going on, no one knows that you need support or you need help. And so your resources become quite limited, you know, when you do that. And um, it, not that it's wrong or right. I'm not. I'm not saying either one, but it's certainly something to think about, you know, if you're I, I knew a gal at work who, um, she went through a different kind of cancer, but the first time through it, she didn't tell anybody that she was going, I mean, we all knew that she took time off from work, but nobody really knew why. When people would call, her husband would buffer the phone calls and wouldn't tell anybody anything, and she would never talk to anyone. And then she came back to work, and that's when we heard what was going on, and then she got diagnosed again with something else, a different kind of cancer, and I asked her in an interview, I interviewed her for a school paper, I said, what would you do differently this time, or the first time if you'd known, you know, what you know now? And she said, I would have invite. I would have let people in. That was the one thing, one mistake that she made is she was so quiet and hush-hush about it that she never felt supported the way that she was supported the second time when people knew. So, she she thought that was the one mistake that she made that she wouldn't have done that way so I don't know maybe it's the same thing with, with whether it's dating or friends but Natalie good for you to just I, I think I think a lot of us kind of put it out there now I, it's my life you know I've written books about it. <laughs> you know, I speak about it all over the country so right. you know it's uh, it becomes part of your life and it's nothing to be ashamed of nothing to be ashamed of In Absolutely. fact, in fact if anything it just makes us stronger warriors you know don't you agree
5: absolutely
1: absolutely yeah. so definitely. I I saw a sign in my doctor's office I'm gonna paraphrase it very badly but it said something like the scars are just the the proof that something tried to kill me and lost <laughs> you know so I it was something like that I just loved it so yeah those battle scars are definitely worth talking about so all right ladies we are going to go out to break and when we come back we have another guest with us christine linder she'll be on the line with us and we're going to talk about oh some other stuff so anyway well stay tuned we'll be back in a minute
4: become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america
0: Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today.
3: When was the last time you felt free?
0: Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at electa.com that's e l e k t a.com
1: Welcome back to our program. I'm really excited for this topic today, but before I introduce our third guest, I want to just remind all of you that are listening, if you love this show, and I hope you do, and I know some of you listen very, very faithfully, I'm going to give a little shout out to Nancy Smith. She's my sister-in-law. She listens every week, and I just so love her for doing that, but I want to just Anybody that's listening on a regular basis, if you love this show, please share it with your friends. Get people to tune in and listen. We also have a very special Facebook group. It's called Breast Friends Around the Globe. Please go to that. You you have to join it, but there's no approval process. Just uh, And if it is, it's really quick. So just you know, join the group, and then let us know if you're hearing episodes, which ones you're hearing, and where you're listening from, because I have a goal to speak. I had a goal to speak in all 50 states. But given the fact that there's events canceled all over the place and trying to get to 50s, I mean, I've done 32 states. And so I had 18 to go when I started this process. And then COVID hit and events got canceled. And, you know, then my health kind of took a little bit of a back backswing here. Um, so we changed it from speaking in all 50 states to having you know, to speaking to people in all 50 states. And with that in mind, we have actually knocked off a whole bunch more. I only have four states to go where I need to know someone listened to this show from that state, what show you listen to, and a comment about it. And those shows, those states are North Dakota, Oklahoma, Vermont, and New Jersey. So if you are, if you have people in those states or you're from those states and you're listening to this episode right now, go to Breast Friends Around the Globe and let me know. And uh, the other thing that we that we need support with is you know, because of Covid and we're not able to do the events that Alyssa was talking about in the first part of this interview, we um Really would love your support online. If you go to breastfriends.org on our Facebook page, I mean, excuse me, our website, there's a donate button and you can donate. And we're asking for people to make a $20 donation for our 20 years in business as a nonprofit in the year 2020. So I'm just a $20 donation. If everyone that listened to the show did that, we would probably do just fine. So anyway, um, with that in mind, we are now going to come back and talk about uh, some more about cancer in young survivors And our guest for this segment is Christine Linders Now Christine was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer At age 34 in November of 2017 I just, I just can't believe how young all three of you are She's married stay-at-home mom of two boys ages 3 and 5 um, Which means they were very young when she was diagnosed She moved to Portland from Seattle Where she'd worked for the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center Christine is a firm believer in the importance of exercise as a stress reliever and the benefits it has on our bodies and cancer prevention. Welcome, Christine. Thanks for joining us today. Hi. Thanks for having me. Well, we're so glad you're here. So, listen, I, I want to, let's just kind of cut right to this. You were diagnosed at age 34, oh my gosh, with little mm-hmm. little kids at home. What was that like for yeah. you to get that diagnosis? You know, definitely
6: scary. I'm sure like Alyssa and Natalie have told you, um, it's just, you know, frightening your world stops. You know, I have two young boys. My youngest was only, um, one and a half when I got diagnosed. So, um, I had just got done, you know, nursing him and then found the lump myself. So it was, um, scary. And then, you know, you go from, Basically, it's like a waiting game. You kind of wait for your treatment options, the plan of action, then comes survival mode, trying to get through all those plans. Um, you kind of, your life becomes day-to-day, and it kind of is still, to some degree, even after treatment. So, you know, just scary, so.
1: And so young. So, what did you do for for childcare, I mean, I know that's not the topic of this segment, but I'm curious. What did you do for childcare yeah. when you were going through treatment with with these little kids? Oh my gosh!
6: You, know, I ha- I was lucky to make a lot of mom friends um, when I had moved um, to Portland area, and they all just kind of stepped up and helped take care of my kids when I had different appointments. Um, and my husband's work was really good and they were able to let him have like a day off around treatment, um, to kind of help me rest and him take care of the kids. So I kind of did it around the weekend timeframe to kind of, you know, make it easier for all of us. But
1: yeah, that's what I ended up doing. Well, so, sounds like you had tremendous support and the, mo- the yeah. mom group sounds, sounds like they were just lifesavers for you. That's great. Did you have a family yeah. history? Of cancer was so no. There any- yeah, I don't have family history
6: um, of breast cancer. You know, I was familiar with um, the BRCA mutations, and I knew that dense breasts and family history were sort of key factors to breast cancer. But I, uh, I didn't have any kind of family history after getting tested. So.
1: Kind of a shocker. And, and and you didn't yeah. have the mutations either, or, or you did? No, I no. didn't have no the mutations, mutations No mutations, no family history. So all three of you um, today on the show, all three of you were... Okay, so to our listeners, please pay attention to this. Um, when people say, "Oh, well, I, I have a little lump there, but it can't be cancer because I don't have a family history. Breast cancer only is... There's only about between 10-15% of breast cancers are inherited breast cancers. So please understand that the majority of breast cancer that that you might experience is not an inherited trait or related to mutation. So please don't use that as your guidepost that I don't need a mammogram because I don't have a family history. Yes, you do need a mammogram. <laughs> and there's some discussion when those should start. And for those of us in this business and you hearing from these three ladies, you know, they, they say start your mammograms at 40, at age 40, unless you have a family history, in which case they might want you to start younger. But if these girls did, let me ask each of you this question, um, and I'll start with you, Christine. Did you find your cancer yourself? Did you feel a lump or did, was it, how did you find it? Yeah, I felt the lump myself on my breast, okay. in my left breast. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you went in and had a, a mammogram, and they they confirmed it.
6: Is that yeah, right? I went to my gyn appointment, and then they, um, you know, they said let's get this, let's get you to get a mammogram and ultrasound, and that's what the steps okay.
1: happened. So yeah. Natalie, Natalie, how about you?
5: I did. I uh, I grew up doing mouth, uh, monthly self exams, and so that's just kind of always been a part of my life. And I felt a lump, and I uh, tried to go in. I actually had trouble kind of getting care initially because I was brushed off because I didn't have family history. I was too young. You're too young. Yeah. It, too young. yeah. Cancer. Pain mm-hmm. is a good thing. It's probably just a cyst. I mean, you name it, I heard it. Um, so probably actually I actually ended up going to Planned Parenthood because I was able to get in two days later. Um, and they took really good care of me and put in orders for all the imaging, everything. So,
1: so the, so you found, again, you found it yourself. And how, how about you, Alyssa?
2: Yep. Yep. I found, I found mine myself in the shower. I, to be honest, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I had never done uh, a self-exam. And um, I, I think I just got lucky that it was in a place where I could easily feel it while washing my body. And I, um, I took it very seriously and called my my doctor right away um, because it was just so abnormal to me um, to have a lump, so. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, I think that's really good information because all three of you were diagnosed under 40, all of you found your lumps yourself, and none of you took it for granted that it was nothing, and you all, became your own best advocates and until you got what you needed to have done. And so I'm, I'm very personally very proud of all three of you because that's not everyone's story. Some people will put it off thinking they can't have it. They're too young, no family history, et cetera, et cetera. And, Good for all of you for being that super advocate that we need, you know, we need people like you to be telling the story. So I thank you for all of you for being on the show today to tell your story. So speaking of that, Christine, let's come back and talk more about your story. Um, I was going to ask you about your work at, at Fred Hutchinson. Just Can you just tell me briefly what you did there? What was your role there? Because I want to get into the exercise yeah. thing before we run out of time.
6: Yeah, no problem. Yeah, no, I um, I was there for seven years, and I sort of started off um, helping a researcher with the Breast and Ovarian Cancer Research Studies. I was mm. able to kind of um, help enroll some breast cancer survivors into the studies, and then I kind of transitioned and, and became program assistant for um, a public health sciences group and helped them, like, submit grants and manage some of okay. their, their program funds and stuff, so...
1: Well you've got yeah. some good good rounded experience there. So let's talk about your yeah. interest in physical fitness. Um, you've you've been interested in it for a long time. How long is has it been a part of your life, even before cancer, or is it something you've adopted since then?
6: Yeah, yeah prior to diagnosis I, I used, you know, physical activity for weight management mostly. I had gained about forty pounds when I was about twenty three years old or so, um, which is a lot of weight for me because I'm kind of small, so um, I worked hard to lose the weight with lots of cardio, and went from like 170 to like 135 in a few years. Um, but then when I was, um, you know, diagnosed, I I um, had just started running again, and I was kind of maintaining my lower weight. And then, even just finished um, a first my first half marathon in August. Good for um, you! I got diagnosed. Wow. Yeah, so
1: wow. So before you were diagnosed, you did a half marathon. Oh my gosh, I'm so, yeah, I'm so I impressed. Yeah, was like right before. Yeah, <laughs> that's no, 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 no. wonderful. Now, did you work out? Did you keep working out during treatment, or did you give your body a break? What did you? How'd that work? You know,
5: um,
6: when I first got diagnosed, I was kind of scared, so I um, physical activity sort of kind of went on the back burner a little bit. I was kind of nervous to work out and do things with my body. Um, I definitely regret that <laughs> a lot. Um, I kind of just stopped. You know, I kind of thought, okay, I'm just going to give my body a break and see what happens. Um, but I did end up gaining, you know, weight, weight back because um, I was sort of, you know, just sedentary and just kind of, you know, not really... Doing all the activity I was doing before. So,
1: uh, did I? Did I ask you what your treatment was and how long you were on treatment? I'm. I, I have chemo oh, brain no. after all these years. I, I don't think I asked you. Okay, let's talk no, about uh, that for just a minute.
6: Yeah. So I started off doing um, an IV chemo, um, and did that for a few months, and then I waited about a. Uh, A month and then I had a double mastectomy surgery, and I was able to do um, direct to implant nipple sparing double mastectomy. So um, it was a very good, like, one time surgery, got it done, got them, um, you know, got the cancer removed. And then after that, they, um, since it was in my lymph nodes, I was able to just do some oral chemo to finish it all off. um, Good, okay. I did the, the LODA, so.
1: So, are you back yeah. back to working out full time? Yes, right
6: uh, yeah, I took a you know a few months off after oral chemo because that just the number on my hands and my feet. But after I was off that, I started to get energy back and um, started to go back at it. Um, you know, it was I kind of I started losing the weight right away just because I started working out. But I started to incorporate more like strength training going back to running, um, doing some kickboxing and Pilates. (laughs) Pilates, (laughs) You're making me tired just talking to you. (laughs) I know. Well, I started off with Pilates was like a main thing because I was very nervous with my range of motion. And um, I went to a lady who ended up being um, a survivor herself. And so she really helped um, me get my core back, you know, just get some strength in my core. And that helped a lot to start this whole fitness
1: journey off. You know that's that's wonderful, and I am so sad to say we are out of time. But um, oh, okay. I love all your I love all your stories. Um, congratulations, ladies ladies, for all of you being so strong in this. And I'm just I'm just blown away that that it could happen to somebody so young, and yet we hear it so often. So thank you, everyone, for listening. I want to thank our guests for taking the time. All three of you, Alyssa, Natalie, and Christine. Thank you guys so much for for being on the show with me today and for sharing your stories from your hearts and talking about how you survived through this battle. So for the people listening again, please, this podcast is available on many, many platforms. It's built into the eye, into the, uh, iPod, what do you call it? App on your, on your iPhone. Uh, you can listen there very, very easily. So, uh, please, please do that. Just go to VoiceAmerica.com, search for breast friends and you'll find our radio show. So, uh, Again, we'll be back next week. And until then, remember, there is always hope. And we are here to help you find it.
0: Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 12 o'clock noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope. And we are here to help you find it. We'll talk again next time.